Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, are you ready for the word? Oh, come on. You get more excited when the Dolphins win two games in a row. Are you ready to receive the word? Yeah. Yeah. Let's welcome Pastor (laughs) Randall as he comes. Thank you, Jim. All the dogs win today. More importantly is the Bulldogs won yesterday, so I'm very, very happy. You know, I don't know how they did either. I have no idea. You can always speak a doggies fan. He's happy when they win one game. He's happy. So it's, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Um, it's funny when I write a sermon. I'm not sure how Jim and Pavey write their sermons. We don't really sit around and talk about that. I'm not sure how the people do it. But when I write a sermon, uh, it falls into one or two categories. The first one is it's difficult. It's a bit of, a, a bit of an effort. And I'm, like, I'm typing and I sort of lose my way and I lose the flow and I have to go back. And it's just a bit of, a, it's a bit of an ordeal. And I get there. But uh, the other time is when I start writing and I write the whole thing in one hit and uh, God just speaks to me and it's just boom, straight down. I can put a whole sermon down in about three hours. If, um, and um, this morning, uh, this sermon is one of the latter. I sat down and wrote this sermon and I went boom, it was, came straight out. So I really believe uh, that God wants to speak to people here this morning, speak to people at home. I think God has something to say to some people and at the end we're going to have an opportunity for people to respond. So I just want to encourage you that uh, God is speaking this morning and he wants you to open your heart and hear. And so when you listen to this sermon, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me this morning? And be open to hear. Yes? Yeah. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, Pastor Pevy did begin uh, this new series called I Am. And uh, we're going to look at seven pivotal moments in the life of Jesus leading up to the resurrection. And... Uh, Pavey gave a great message on when I am betrayed. And if you missed that uh, message, I really encourage you to go and listen to it. Or if you heard it last week, I encourage you to listen to it again because it was really, really good. And as we (coughs) chronicle Jesus' life, as we look at his life, uh, we know that the betrayal of Jesus came to light in the garden when Judas led those those men who were armed with swords and clubs. He led them to arrest Jesus. And from there, Jesus was taken into the home of the high priest. And he was interrogated, it was a, a legal trial, he was accused of many, many things. And it's at this point we're going to delve into the story of Jesus. For our second pivotal moment takes place uh, at the high priest's house where Jesus is undergoing the trial. And we're going to look at today, what do we do when we are denied? What do we do when we are denied? When I am denied, what do I do? And so we're going to look at that encounter in Mark 14. Uh, verses uh, 66 to 72. So if you have your Bible with you or you can look on the screen, it's up to you. So we're going to dive into Mark 14. It says this. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. So it was the courtyard of the high priest. Uh, One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter was warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway, and just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it 
again. A little while later, some other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you you can come around and you can teach us. Holy Spirit, come and reveal yourself to us, to every person here. Lord, let us ask this morning, what are you teaching us? What are you speaking to us about? Lord, let us understand that you want to draw us closer to you, to understand you more and more, so you can lead us into the life you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is this. What does it mean to deny somebody? What do we mean when we say that? When we say we deny someone, what does that mean? Because Peter denies Jesus not once. He denies him three times. And in verse 70, we read the words, Peter denied it again. Now that word denied, and all throughout these verses, the word deny or denied, in all of the Gospels, is all the same word. It's all the same word, and that word is apaniomai. Here is your Greek for this morning. Deny equals apaniomai. That's the word they use. Now, the word apaniomai means a few things. Firstly, it means to refuse association. You refuse to associate with somebody. It also means to distance oneself, to distance oneself from another person. It also means to reject to reject. So we have this idea that if we deny someone, we're not associating with them, uh, we don't hang around them, uh, we, don't, we reject any attempts of them to connect with us. This is real separation. Uh, we, I see it all the time. I see it in schools. Uh, teenagers are, are, really, are really good at doing this. Uh, friendship groups change over time. I often find that a group uh, have friends in year seven will not be the same as a group of friends in year 12. They change and they, they mix and they merge. Uh, I mean, when I was in school, when I was in school in my neighborhood, there was about five of us, five guys, uh, all around the same age. And I uh, used to hang out all the time. We built a treehouse together. We used to go explore the bush together, live in a country town. And, but at school, out of that group of boys, there was only one I went to school with. All the rest went to a different school. But the one I went to school with, when I was at school, he refused to associate with me. Outside of school, it was fine. We hang out, that kind of stuff. But at school, because he was in the popular crowd and I wasn't, there was no association. He denied our friendship, our relationship that we had. That was how it was because of peer pressure. So that's what we mean when we say deny. And we don't usually go around using the word deny that often, do we? Not really. We don't go around saying that word. I don't say I was, I was denied this or I feel denied. Uh, being denied kind of feels like something that happens to you more than a feeling that you have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's something that happened to you. I was denied entry to this place. I was denied a chance to defend myself. It's something that happened to you. You don't really associate it with a feeling. And so for the ease of connection this morning, we're going to define it so we're all on the same page. If I ask you to define denial, you have your own definition. But we're going to share a definition this morning so we're all starting from the same viewpoint. And I, I, I define it like this. Denial is the rejection by someone close to us. Denial is the rejection by someone close to us. 
That is our definition of denial this morning. People in our lives who should be there for us, who have no reason really to reject us or not associate with us. We don't really expect them to refuse to know who we are. But they reject us. It's a personal rejection. And if you look at what happened to Jesus, what happened prior to that denial that happened in the courtyard, we see this is clearly what happened to Jesus. This is what happened to Jesus, a personal rejection. That's what the denial was. You see, Jesus was denied by those who love him. Jesus was denied by those who love him. I mean, he was rejected by many people, as we'll see later on. But when the disciples scattered when he was arrested, when those who promised to stand with him then publicly declared they don't even know him, that's a personal rejection. Personal. So we're going to skip back in Mark 14, back to verse 27. And we're going to see Jesus speaking to his disciples prior to Peter's denial. And he says this in verse 27. On the way, so they left the Last Supper, they're heading to the garden through the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, no, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Peter was adamant. He believed with every ounce of his being that he would never deny Jesus. He would even die with Jesus if it came to it. And the other ten disciples, because Judas is left now to betray Jesus, they all agreed. They all vowed. They vowed. Mouth was when push came to shove, they all folded. Every single one of them. They scattered. And Peter, Peter, who emphatically declared, I would never deny you, <clears throat> he is the one. He is the one who found denial on his lips. He is the one whose words were words of rejection. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, to be denied. He knew it was coming. He knew what they would do. Although I'm sure at the time it didn't really make it feel any better. I'm sure the pain of rejection was still sore for Jesus. But he knew they would distance themselves. He knew that they would refuse to even associate with him at all. The truth is, we have all faced rejection. People in our lives who should have been there for us, who should have journeyed alongside us, they have refused to associate with us. They have separated themselves for us. People who are supposed to stick with us, those who promised to walk alongside you, but instead they rejected you. Now, if I asked you right now to stop, just to close your eyes just for a second, everyone close their eyes just for a second, I want you to picture somebody, and we all have somebody, maybe it's more than one person for you, I don't know. Picture somebody who said that they would be there for you, who promised they would be with you always, forever, who was meant to be your friend or your partner, 
or a relative, whatever it is. Picture that person. And that person, you know, didn't uphold their promise. They walked away from you. Or they refused to associate with you. Or little by little, maybe they slowly removed themselves from your life, little bit by little bit, until they were no longer in it anymore. Everybody in this room, everyone watching at home, has a person just like that. Just like Jesus did. At some point in your past, or even something you dear are dealing with right now, someone has denied you, you have faced a personal rejection. Yes? Yes. Sometimes the scars of rejection can last a long time, can't they? And you begin to question. You question, did I do something wrong? Was there something that I said? Was there something that I did? Could I, could I have done something different? Those questions linger in your mind. The uncertainty, not knowing what happened. What went wrong? And those things can keep that sting of rejection fresh in our minds, fresh in our hearts. So this morning, the question is this. How do we deal with rejection? How do we deal with rejection? What do we do? How do we deal with rejection? In order for us to move on, in order, in order for us to, to not allow rejection and denial to affect us in the future, to not allow rejection to rob us of the future that God has for us, in order to let it go, we need to understand four things. Four things. Truths that we need to have revelation about so we can live the life that God has for us. And the first one is this. We need to understand that only a foundation built on God's opinion will stand. Only a foundation built on God's opinion will stand. The truth is we have a choice to make. Everybody has a choice to make. Everybody in this room, everyone watching at home, you all have a choice to make. You can build your life, your self-esteem, your self-worth, your self-perception. You can build it on what other people say about you or... You can build your life on what God says about you. That's your choice. You can invest in the choices of other people or you can find value in God's opinion of you. We each have that choice. But only one of them, only one of those choices will actually lead you to a life where you can withstand rejection, where you can move past it and overcome it. And we see it in the life of Jesus, because Jesus was no stranger to the opinions of people. He dealt with the opinions of people all of the time. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, we see this happen when Jesus returns to his hometown. Jesus 6, uh, Mark 6, verse 1 says this. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So in one breath... The people are amazed. They're amazed at his teaching. They're amazed at the word, his, his wisdom. They're amazed at the power of his miracles. They can't believe it. They're astounded. And in the very next breath, they scoff. 
They scoff. Because why? Because he's a carpenter. He's just a carpenter. We, 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 know his, we know his brothers and sisters. We know who he is. We know he's just Mary's boy. That's just Jesus. So we're not going to believe. They become offended. Why? Because, because they know who he is. All of that doesn't change the fact that they were amazed by his teaching, that they were amazed by his miracles. None of who he is negates what he did. Yet, they couldn't move past it. Yet, they chose to be offended by him. They couldn't believe the power that they saw, the miracles he performed. I mean, they were eyewitnesses to actual miracles performed by Jesus. I mean, they heard him teach, but nah. Now, they're offended because you are just a carpenter. You're just Mary's boy. I mean, if you saw Jesus perform a miracle, if you just turned up and he performed a miracle, you would be, oh my goodness, be amazed, wouldn't we? If he came and taught here and spoke to you, Jesus speaking to you, you would just be like, I don't care where this guy comes from. None of we would care. We wouldn't care, would we? We wouldn't care that he's a carpenter, would we? We wouldn't care that he was Mary's boy, would we? No, of course not. Because that would be ridiculous. That's ludicrous. Like madness. And that's my point. You see, that is exactly what the opinions of other people who reject you are. They are ridiculous. They are ludicrous. They are madness. The opinions of other people who shun you, who reject you, they are ridiculous. They are crazy. They have no worth to you. They are nothing to build your life upon. They are as unfounded as the people, the opinions of those who rejected Jesus. We spoke in Connect Group this week uh, about what God did for us, about how God put us in right standing with himself, about how God sent his son Jesus so that we can have a relationship with him. So the idea of right standing, we are made righteous through Jesus. So we're able to live in a relationship with God because of Jesus. Who made that happen? God made that happen. God made it happen by sending his son. So God saw us, God saw you, and instead of saying, I reject you, I distance myself from you, he drew us closer to him instead. Instead of saying, I reject you, I'm going to pull you closer. He made a way so we could connect with him, although it cost him his son. So in one hand, you have the opinions of people who reject you, the words of other people. And on the other hand, you have God. God who, instead of rejecting us, drew us closer with him so we can have a relationship with him. It may seem obvious, but which one will you choose? Will you choose the opinions of people or what God has done for you? Which one are you going to choose? This one? Yes? No? No. We're going to choose this one. So why is it that we choose this one? Why do we choose this one all of the time? Because we do. We do it so often. We choose this one even though we know we should choose this one. Because we need to understand that the opinions of people are not worth building upon. They are ridiculous. And the only foundation worth building upon is what God has done for us because he drew us closer to him when he could have rejected us.
he chose to include us and have a relationship with us. So we need to let this one go and hold on to this one. It needs to be a conscious decision of our will. Secondly, we need to understand. We need to understand that only God's favour matters. Only God's favour matters. Luke 22, verse 60, looking at the same event in the book of Luke. So this is still the Peter's denial of Jesus, just so we know. This is just Luke's version of that. And he says this in Luke 22. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. So seven girls approached him, denying Jesus. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is part that Luke includes that others don't. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. So what are we seeing here? What are we, what are we looking at? So Peter didn't die as Jesus for the third time and the rooster crows. And even before he can finish the sentence, that rooster's gone. That rooster's gone off. Even before he's finished rejecting Jesus, the rooster's already crowed. And then Jesus looks at Peter. At that very moment, Jesus looks at Peter. I've got a question for you. We're going to park Jesus here for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Just like we shouldn't invest in the opinions of other people, we should stop looking at other people as a place to find our worth. We need to remember we are not here to please people. We're not here to please people. We're not here to become people pleasers as a way to find our self-worth. No. Because often we do that, don't we? We want to feel good about ourselves because people like us. We want people to look at us and think, wow, they're a great person. They're very good. And we feel, we feel good ourselves about that. We feel good about that. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that people shouldn't think that you're a good person. Of course they should. I hope people think you're a good person. But the question is, is that where you're looking to find your worth? Are you looking to please people as a way to feel good about yourself? Because if we do that, that is a dangerous road to go down. Where are you looking for your validation? Is it other people or is it God? Because if you start to become a people pleaser to validate your existence, eventually you start building your life on people's opinions. And so we go back to step one. We're back at verse, point one again. And eventually, eventually that will end in rejection because we will outlive our usefulness to that person. We won't be able to meet their needs anymore and they will reject us. So where are you looking? We know where Jesus was looking and it wasn't really at Peter. The verse says that, but Jesus wasn't looking at Peter. He wasn't looking at Peter because he needed validation from Peter. That's not what Jesus was doing. You know, Jesus looked at Peter so that Peter would remember what Jesus had said. You will deny me three times. He needed Peter to remember that Jesus warned him this would happen. So Peter makes that connection. He knew about the rejection. He knew that Peter would say he did. And he needs Peter to know. He needs Peter to understand in that moment when he looks at him, I knew you were going to do this. And yet, I still walked with you to the garden. I still wanted you with me to stand guard while I prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. 
Even though I knew you would reject me, I still wanted you beside me. I didn't reject you, even though I knew you were going to reject me. That's what Peter needs to understand at that moment. Jesus knew. Jesus knew I was going to do this, and yet he let me walk with him. He let me stand guard, even though I fell asleep. It's a different story. He let me with him. He let me stay with him and walk with him. He continued to teach me and talk to me and love me, even though he knew this is where I would end up. Jesus needed, in that moment, Peter to realize that. So where was Jesus looking then? Where was his focus on? A little bit later in Luke 22, we read this. We read this. He's on trial. And so they're interrogating him. And they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. That's true. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. It's also true. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the place of power at God's right hand. You see, Jesus wasn't looking at his circumstances. Jesus had already started looking into the heavenly realm where he was going. He had his eyes fixed on God's right hand. That's where he would be seated. He'd already lifted his eyes above what was happening to him, above Peter's denial and rejection, above the disciples scattering, above what was going to happen on the cross. He was already looking to God for his validation, knowing that God had sent him to do this very thing. I will be obedient to my Father, and so I'll keep my eyes on my Father. Jesus knew, and we should know too. We should understand that only God's favour matters. We need to keep our eyes on him. Don't look for the favour of men. Look for his favour. Living a life that brings glory to him. Asking God, what do you want of me? How can I bring you honour? How do you want to use me in my life? So how do we do that? How do we live for God? Well, we need to be people who demonstrate what I'm calling good denial. Good denial. Good denial. Now, we understand that so far denial is a bad thing. Denying people is not good. But some of us will remember that Roger, Roger got up here a few weeks ago and he spoke and he said these words. He says, I'm living in denial. Who remembers that? A communion message. He said that, I'm living in denial. And he was speaking about denying ourselves and living for God. He said, I live in denial. We all laughed. It was funny. Earlier, I introduced you to a new word. And that word is apaniomai. Now, apaniomai has several meanings. And the one I didn't mention before was this one. It means to deny yourself. That's one of the meanings of the words apaniomai, to deny yourself. So when Jesus speaks to the crowd in Luke 9, verse 23, it's not on the screen, we read some famous words. He says, If anyone come, would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny yourself. That word deny is apaniomai, deny yourself. Living a life that pleases God. Living a life that honours him, what he has done for you. It means we need to deny ourselves, put ourselves aside and ask, what does God want me to do? To seek his guidance. To get up in the morning and actually go, God, help me live for you today. Direct my steps today. 
actually making that a conscious decision. I know when I get up, the alarm goes off, I'm usually sort of like walking very slowly and like I'm like this. But consciously saying, God, please use me today. Deny myself and let you live through me. We need to take stock every day of the cost of our life. Instead of rejection, God chose redemption. Instead of rejection, God chose redemption. He chose to redeem you back to himself at the cost of his son. He paid the price so we could know him. Denying ourselves means shedding ourselves of selfishness and putting on humility so we never take for granted what we have received. We have the favor of God on us through faith in Jesus. Remember, he makes us righteous. And seeking anyone else's favor instead of God's, it takes our eyes off of him and puts it on something that's not worth building upon. We can't take our eye off the prize. That is Jesus. We can't put our eyes where there's no eternity, where everything is just temporary, where there's no firm foundation, where there's only rejection. Keep your eyes on him. Seek his favor only. Thirdly, we must understand this. We must understand that only God is with us always. Only God is with us always. God always has been with us, and he always will be with us. He will be with everyone who needs him, and he will never, ever leave them. God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God has always been there for those who need him. That's why we're going to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis, just for a brief moment. Genesis 16. We're going to read a bit of a story, but I'm going to give you the background so I don't read all of Genesis 16. We're going to go back to Sarai and Abram. Who knows those people? Sarai and Abraham, yep. Okay. Now, Sarai hasn't been able to conceive, hasn't been able to have kids. And uh, even though Abram has just been promised in the previous chapter, you have descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham believed. It was created to him as righteousness. And then the next chapter, they concoct a plan. Sarah can't have babies, so I'll get Abram to sleep with Hagar, my servant girl. That's how I have kids. And so Abram apparently doesn't have any issue with this plan whatsoever. I don't know why. I'll let you figure that out for yourselves. And so they had this plan. Hagar falls pregnant. And in response to falling pregnant, Hagar begins to treat her mistress Sarai with, the Bible says, contempt. Contempt. In the original language, that word can actually be translated as insignificant. Hagar began to treat her as if she was insignificant. Because I have Abram's heir and you do not. That was wrong of Hagar. We understand that. And so Sarai complains to Abram. And Abram washes his hands and says, She's your servant girl. You do whatever you want. Abraham doesn't take charge. He washes his hands. And so Sarai mistreats Hagar very harshly. And Hagar runs away. Runs away. And in Genesis 16, verse 7, we read this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And we skip down to verse 13. 
Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Hagar came to understand. She came to understand a profound truth, a revelation for her, something that she did not know before. God sees her. God saw her. She even changed the way she referred to from God. From that point on, she referred to God as Elroy. Elroy, the God who sees me. Now, the angel didn't tell Hagar, okay, go somewhere new, start a new life, I'll be with you, that's fine. No, no. What did the angel tell her to do? Go back to Sarai and submit to her authority. I'm sure that Hagar did not want to do that. I'm sure that was a tough pill for her to swallow. Go back to where your mistress has just treated you harshly, so much so that you ran away from her. Go back to the situation where you're also guilty of poor behavior that everyone saw. God, I want you to hear this, God did not change Hagar's circumstances. He did not change her circumstances, even though I'm sure that's what she wanted him to do. He did not change her circumstances. So what did he do? She changed the way. He changed the way that she saw God. She, he changed her. He changed not her circumstances. He changed her in her circumstances. Exactly what Pastor Baby talked about last week. He changed not her circumstances, but who she was and how she saw herself and how she saw God. From that moment on, she knew whatever her circumstances were, she knew one fundamental truth. God sees me. God sees me. Whatever happens in my life, I know that God sees me. Not, not as just another person in my household. Not as one amongst many. God sees me. He sees everything I've been through. He sees my pain. He sees me. God sees you. He sees you. Jackie said this morning, there's something you don't want to take to God. You're too embarrassed or they'd hurt too much. I say to you, God sees you. God knows. He sees you. Make the space for him. God didn't reject Hagar, even though she was guilty of things that she shouldn't have done. No, God sent an angel to find her to bring her back so she would understand that God sees her, that God knows her. God is always with you. Always. Only God stays with us without fail. Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel, what did Jesus say? He said, Surely I'm with you until the very end of the age. I'm with you always, Jesus said. You see, Jesus made sure that God can always see us. Jesus removed our sin so that God can look upon us so God sees you. Jesus endured rejection so we don't have to. Our God is always with us and he endured that rejection alone so we don't have to. You see, Jesus did what needed to be done. So we never had to face rejection alone. As Jesus hung on the cross, what did he cry out? 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does forsaken mean? Rejected. It's the same word. It means the same thing. In Deuteronomy 31, God said that he would never leave us or forsake us. But there was still a price that needed to be paid. So if God promises us that he's not going to leave us or forsake us, who does he forsake? Jesus in our place. He rejected Jesus when he became our sin because God could not look upon sin. He could not associate with sin. And so God rejects Jesus on the cross when he becomes sin, when he became the offering for us. In order that we are never rejected by God ever, that he would never forsake us. He distanced himself from his own son so we could know him. So we wouldn't be tarnished with our sin. Jesus took our place so we could have a place with God forever. Remember, when you are rejected, God is with you always. And he never rejects you. Lastly, we need to understand this. We understand that only God knows it all. Only God knows it all. Pastor Pepe brought up one of her favorite verses last week. I'm going to use it again today. She spoke about Joseph. And in Genesis 50, we read this. It says this. When Joseph meets his brothers, they're reunited with his brothers. And Joseph said this. He says in verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's Genesis 50, verse 20. That's one of Pavey's favorite verses. When we face rejection, when people have or will distance themselves from us, when they refuse to associate us, when they deny us, we remember that only his opinion matters. We remember that only seeking his favor adds to our life. We remember he is always with us. And we have to remember that only God knows how it turns out. Only he knows what happens next. We have the benefit of looking at Joseph's life in hindsight. So we see everything that happened to him. I talked to my, my RI class this week. We talked about, I got my, all my kids to act out the life of Joseph. It took a while, but we got there. Rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, lied about, put in prison, forgotten about in prison, then restored by God. That's a long time. We had the benefit of looking back and seeing how God moved the whole time. But I can't imagine what it was like for Joseph. Like, oh my goodness, prison for years. An innocent man, rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery. I can't imagine what it felt like to go through that. I can't imagine what Peter felt when he denied Jesus. When he looked into the eyes of Jesus and he knew in that moment that all his promises, all his blustering, that he would die with Jesus, he would be with them, that it all meant nothing. That all he said meant nothing. I can't imagine what Peter felt in that time. The guilt and the pain he must have carried around until, until Jesus restored him by the lake. Remember, Peter, do you love me? He said it three times to take away the three denials. But up until that point, I can't imagine what Peter felt. But maybe, just maybe, you entertain me for a second. Maybe God had a plan. Maybe God had a plan there too. Just like he had a plan with Joseph. Maybe God had a plan for Peter. See, Jesus knew Peter would deny him. 
He knew. So maybe there was an unseen plan behind the scenes. We look at Peter's choice to disassociate from Jesus, to reject him, to deny him. But what if Peter, what if Peter had made a different choice? Ever wondered that? When Peter saw Jesus in the courtyard, being interrogated by the high priest, false accusations, this illegal trial under the cover of night, and the servant girl comes up to Peter and he says, you were with the Jesus of Nazareth. You were one of those. And for a moment, Peter thinks, I'm going to save my skin. I'm going to deny Jesus. But he doesn't. In that moment, he goes, yes, I was with him. And the high priest looks up from the, at the commotion, this man yelling, I was with him. Everyone looks at Peter. And he says, that man is the Christ. That is the Messiah. What happens to Peter? Peter dies. Instead of Peter, Jesus being crucified with two unknown criminals, on one side is Peter being crucified. And the other side is probably John, because John was there as well. And instead of Peter being crucified, it's Jesus, Peter, and John. All gone. Peter, who was so instrumental in the establishing the early church. Peter, who led the disciples, who preached so powerfully that thousands were saved in one day. Peter, who gave us the Gospel of Mark, which is basically Peter's life, transcribed by John Mark. He gave us First and Second Peter. Maybe, just maybe, God knew what was going to happen. Maybe God did know that. Pretty sure he knows everything. Remember, he's the only one who knows what happens in the end. Knowing what Peter's going to do, he uses what Peter does to save Peter's life so that Peter can establish the early church. Just maybe there was a plan. So that church that we are a part of, you're sitting in church today because of the early disciples. That's why we're here. We are part of the church that has saved so many. Maybe there was a plan. And Peter doesn't need to be defined by his denial. Sure, he's famous for it. But it doesn't define him. I think Jesus wanted Peter to know, it's okay. Remember, I knew we were going to do this. And I loved you anyway. It's okay. You see, you're not defined by denial. God's plans always prevail. You're not defined by denial. If someone rejects you, it doesn't need to define you. You don't need to live there anymore. God's plan will prevail. God has a plan for your life. Only God knows it all. And while the pain of rejection is sharp, or it's bitter, it's, it's difficult to swallow at the time, we don't know what God can do with our story. You don't know how God can use you to do great things. If only we would trust in him. If only we would believe and trust in his plan. If only we would believe, we would build our life, build our life on what he has done for us, not the opinions of other people. If we would choose to deny ourselves and seek his favor. That we would know every day he is with us. That any rejection we face, whatever the outcome, we know that he has a plan and he can use us. Let us never let the rejection of our past rob us from the future he has for us. As we finish, I'm going to ask musicians to come up now. We're going to stand this morning. 
And we're going to pray together. Then after we pray, I'm going to invite you an opportunity to come to the front. Because I believe that when we come to church, when we come to church, it's not just about sitting here and then having some coffee afterwards. We come to church to meet with God. It's our opportunity to connect with Him. And so we're going to pray this morning, if you would stand with me. We're going to pray, and home as well. We're going to pray that God would take this message, this truth, embed it in our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you that you were willing to draw us closer to you, even though it cost us your Son. I pray, Lord, that everybody here, everybody watching at home, they would understand, that they would understand that those opinions, those words that they hear from other people, the opinions they've heard and, and have being gossiped about, those opinions are worth nothing. They are worth nothing because the only opinion that matters is yours. So I pray, Lord, they would have that choice. They would take the choice and let go of the opinions of people and they would hold on to what you say about us, that you loved us. You loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die for us. That everybody here would know that we are to deny ourselves. Help us to deny ourselves, God. Help us to put ourselves aside, our needs and our wants aside and say, God, what do you want us to do? Use me. Use me to glorify your name because you are with us always. You are always with me. It doesn't matter what I go through. You are always there. You are with Haggai in the desert and you're with me now. That even though you won't change our circumstances, we know that you will change us. You will change us. Let us understand that you are the God who sees us. You see me, God. You see every single person here. And God, let us trust in your plan. Even though it doesn't make any sense at the time, we can't see where it's going, let us trust in you. Lord, I pray for every person here. Let them every morning, when they're half asleep, wiping the sleep from their eyes, they will go, stop. And they would think, God, use me today. God, I know you see me. I know you've got a plan. Please use me today. Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for those watching at home and people here, if they've never given their life to you. Maybe they're hearing the word this morning and they think, oh my goodness, Jesus died for me. I pray, Lord, that they would now take this opportunity. They would make space for you. They would choose to come to you at this time. And all they need to do is, is simple. They just need to pray to you. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me, Lord, to live for you from this day on. That's all we need to do. It's as simple as that. And if there's anyone here and watching at home now and in the future, I pray, Lord, that you would, I pray, Lord, that they would contact us. They would know to reach out and we will journey with them in that time. Thank you, God, for your word. You are a good God because you never leave us nor forsake us. You never reject us. And instead, you chose to redeem us back to yourself so we could know you. Thank you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you this morning for joining us online. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast. 
so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.